Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, roads and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. Obviously, it's pretty well documented that delivery charge high fees. All the algorithms are driven towards big chains stealing the limelight. You know, Maccas is winning the winning the race rather than your local artisan pizza shop on the corner. But I think the thing that really stood out to me that really accelerated us jumping on the opportunity was the fact that a lot of the feedback we were getting from restaurants was that we hate the association with other low quality brands and perhaps even the big apps themselves. So aside from the business choices, it was more about brand association that didn't always sit too well. And we saw that evidence when, when we went live. This is Toby Serple, co-founder and CEO at Foodstuff. In my view, they are what you will define as a challenger brand compared to the more traditional third-party delivery platform and companies. They have an intent to bring change to our industry, a change that will make it better for all stakeholders. They do one thing well, serving the indie market for restaurants with the best delivery service you can imagine. They created a sustainable solution and platform for operators in all aspects, and they're helping consumers finding the best of the best restaurant to order the takeaway from. They are now operating a number of regional cities around the UK and more to come very soon. In this episode, we talk about how they launched during the pandemic and how they have scaled very fast and how they have managed this growth internally with their own culture compass. Toby shares the importance of doing the right thing, both when it comes to get support from your people and your customer. He gives very specific examples of what they have been doing to build the culture that people want to join and support. We take a deep dive into the delivery market and hospitality trends in general, and where things are heading the next 12 to 18 months for the industry. Before you tune in, Please sign up to a weekly newsletter, packed with more Maverick insights, strategies, and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit hospitalitymavericks.com. If you are an indie operator, this episode is for you. If you want to build a challenger brand, this episode is also for you. And if you're struggling to get the culture right in your business, this is definitely for you. Enjoy. I'm uh, very excited today. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about when we talk about the industry because it has meant so much the last um, the last couple of years and the pandemic really accelerated. And we're going to be talking about the delivery market and uh, Peter Backman and I also talk about that a lot when we, we have our conversations. Uh, but today we're going to talk a bit about, you know, uh, a challengers to the big ones. You know, when I say the big ones, you know who they are. Uh, and this this is a challenger brand out there called Foodstuff, and they have this uh, amazing team. And we uh, we're very lucky to get Toby, the co-founder, to come 
by today and actually talk a bit about what they're doing and what they're trying to change. Uh, and I can tell you there's some interesting things going on outside London right now when it comes to the delivery market. So with that said, welcome to the, the show, Toby. It's a great pleasure to have you here. Thanks very much for having me. Nice to see you, Michael. Yeah, and uh, we know each other way back, you know, way back from when I met you standing and trying pitching trail to me in the, uh, <laughs> in, in the, I think it's about four or five years ago, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's been, uh, no, it's been, it's been great. Um, and it's been great knowing you, obviously, uh, the industry is a pretty, pretty busy place. And uh, it's been good to have lots of different conversations over the years. And cool to be able to talk you through a new project, uh, a new venture that we've been able to get off the ground during the, um, the pandemic. Yeah, and I think that's another cool thing we can we can talk about a bit later. You launched in the middle of the the, the pandemic, and uh, you know I, I was like watching from from the outside what's going on, and it's gone so fast. And I, I will let you talk about that in a minute. So, food stuff, uh, Toby, tell us a bit about what is uh, food stuff, what is the purpose, the vision, mission, and all that. Yeah, cool. Well, simply put, I guess we're trying to do food delivery with a conscience. Um, we only serve independent restaurants. We do everything eco-friendly um, and we pay all of our riders living wage. So we're a really simple marketplace. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. Um, I guess we're repackaging what is very familiar, um, but just trying to serve a certain de demographic, quality independence, being connected with food enthusiasts. Um, and we've had a really good go of it since our launch in May 2020, where I was still on my bike with James, co-founder, just five restaurants in Cambridge. Um, that turned to 25 restaurants in Cambridge very quickly. And since then, we've been able to scale to Bristol, Bath, Manchester, and soon Oxford. And we've done 30,000 orders since, uh, about 120 restaurants on the platform. And we truly believe that we're serving some of the best restaurants in, in the UK and uh, very excited for the best next chapter in our, uh, in our journey. What was it that made you and James think we need to go and do this? Because of course I can see that it needs a contender to the to the big ones because there's many things around the the big ones model that doesn't work for the operator or the consumer in, in my view. Yeah, I think we spotted the problem probably a year before the pandemic struck. I was lucky enough to be part of the industry working at Trail, but you know, being pretty close to the restaurant scene and um obviously it's pretty well documented that delivery charge high fees. Uh, all the algorithms are driven towards big chains stealing the limelight. You know, Macca's is winning the winning the race uh, rather than your local artisan pizza shop on the corner. But I think the thing that really stood out to me that really accelerated us jumping on the opportunity was the fact that a lot of the feedback we were getting from restaurants was that we hate the association with other low quality brands and perhaps even the big apps themselves. So aside from the, the kind of business choices, it was more about brand association that didn't always sit too well. And that was, um, we saw that evidence when, when we went live because actually 50% of our first wave of restaurants in Cambridge had never done delivery before because they were just petrified of brand damage. Um, and to be honest with you, we took a bit of a punt. We didn't really know whether the, the consumer would care uh, where their food came from. And obviously we kind of learned that they did. But yeah, in terms of how it all started, it was very restaurant focused. And it's interesting that you often would say that, you know, the money 
rules the decisions, but for many that has put a lot of energy into their business and build their brand, they know that their brand and their reputation is everything, especially independent restaurant operators. Uh, everything you do is, you know, looked at from, you know, the local community and you're, you're judged on that. I know that from my mom and dad when they ran restaurants, even though at that time we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have all that. But it was like, that was then people talked about it instead. And, and rumors goes fast if you don't, tread careful as a, as a restaurant business. What is it? Um, you, you've been on a journey. You, you mentioned a very fast expansion. What, what is the future looking like? Because you are challenging the Deliveroo and they and uh, Just Eat and all the other apps and they're all over the place. Is that also your plans as you go forward? You're outside London now, but are you coming to London? What are the, the big plans? Yeah, I think um, for us, um, we're definitely focusing on satellite cities for now. Um, the reason being is that we have more time to really learn our craft and work with communities. Um, and I think that's really important. I think it's fair to say that it's less convenient to use us at the moment. Technologically, we, we don't have an app. Uh, we're just running off a website and we've you know received a huge amount of traction without, which is awesome. And we thank our customers for sort of going through that. Um, and we're hoping to change that soon. My feeling is that the London consumer probably doesn't have the same patience um, and we probably need to uh, improve that kind of uh, tech suite before we hit the, the big cities. But, you know, we're in Manchester, um, the kind of second capital was certainly the, one of the food capitals of the UK and it's going really good there. Um, but, yeah, my feeling is that we want to continue uh, making a real difference in communities where food is a real focus, learn our craft, both on the tech side and operationally spend more time with our restaurants and consumers and as they say you, you've only really got one shot at london so we're not in a rush as you expand what is the because that's probably operator i'm thinking out there it sounds like great there's an alternative to to what's already there it's more ethical but what is the business uh, model uh, toby because that's you know the 35 percent, 30 percent there's a thrown around often that's the often, you know, the financial blocker for many. Yeah, sure. Um, so we actually have like a, a subscription fee um, and it does slide up into tiers as a restaurant performs better. But if you were to flip that into a commission, it becomes lower at the end of each month. So the better you do on the platform, the cheaper as a percentage it comes. And the reason why we do that is because we like to incentivize the restaurant to shout from the rafters with us. We don't have a million quid to spend a day like, delivery and uber eats and just eat do so it is much more of a partnership um so our average subscription turns out to be about 15 percent, which is cutting other costs in half if you relate us to the other apps um but it also encourages marketing evangelism and restaurants shouting on our behalf or with us which connects ultimately much better with their consumer and means we're tapping into closed networks and and lots of them um, so like 80% of our traffic's organic, which is uh, a great a great place for us to start. That, that's very, very, very impressive. So what is the typical thing if uh, people say, what have you learned they've said that since you launched a, a conscious delivery business, what are the consumers saying? What kind of things have you learned from them? Yeah, um, the consumer is pretty, they've really helped us carve our values. And we look a lot as a team inwardly on what we stand for. Um, and this eco-friendly message is huge and they've been very good at holding us accountable to make sure that that is continued. And a lot of people have said that they're losing loyalty with the big apps on the basis that no emissions um, 
when their food's delivered. So that is a big part. And then secondly, riders being treated fairly is a big part of what we do. By default, we paid them, we start paying them living wage. Um, and it just makes for a way better service. Uh, we like to call them front of house staff on, on wheels because they like talking about food. Um, the eco message and the ethical message approaches what well, appeals to the right people. And um, as a result, we have a real loyal fleet that are phenomenal. So even though by default, we were going to do the, the right thing, actually operational costs are working out lower because it doesn't cost us anything to acquire a rider and churn is under 15% because they feel valued, um, which is not something that's familiar in, in the sector with the gig model that the others have adopted. Uh, and then thirdly, you know, keeping money local um, and contributing to communities and local economies. Um, as we know, the pandemic has focused people's lens on that. And uh, we've enjoyed being the vehicle for consumers to continue supporting uh, local independent brands. What about your, your people? I guess also, you know, they are working for a brand that does the right thing. What, what Does that have an influence from, you know, you said you had reasonably conditioned for recruiting. We also have a staffing crisis going on for, for an industry. Uh, you were part of as well. Uh, have you seen that has made a difference for you guys as you've been scaling quite quickly as well and need to hire people? To be fair, like we've had to stay very lean. Um, you know, we're still pretty small and we're a team of seven. Um, and we were very lucky to, to hire quite a lot of that team fairly early on. And we've been able to scale with the team we've got. So I guess um, we'd, you'd call it kind of clerical uh, employees. We haven't really struggled with at all. And actually, because of the brand and what we stand for, we've just had some phenomenal candidates come our way and we're very lucky. Um, and then on the rider side, yeah, I think we've probably felt that, um, but they've all been great. Um, probably not felt it like the restaurants have. And uh, actually some of our city managers have been helping out and jumping on pot wash. I know um, a couple of our city managers have been offering an extra hand to some of the restaurants when they have uh, chefs. Uh, shortage well that that's that's uh, well uh, the level of true partnership i guess as well <laughs> right? uh, it's not it's not a transaction it's a partnership so if you don't get your if the pot wash uh, breaks down the whole operation breaks down um what about um if we go a bit up in the helicopter and look at you know you've you've seen an opportunity here you are you know you're repackaged and you're doing you know the right thing with heart and soul and it also gives financial sense uh, what about this delivery trend can it keep on growing uh, toby because it seems like a vanity numbers we are, we are talking about what the uh, what the potential is just in the in the uk in the, alone yeah, I, I, look, the way we see this industry is that, that there's a problem that we wanted to solve. And for me, there was an arms race between Deliveroo and Uber Eats, and they were bouting out for market share. And they were trying to win the biggest deals being McDonald's, Subway, whatever it may be. Um, but they've totally forgotten that there's a huge market that's actually growing extremely quickly. You know, 11% year on year growth of independent restaurants in the UK that's totally unserved. And they've gone too far to kind of backtrack and build something that suits those needs. Um, and then you're absolutely right beyond that. There's kind of this new arms race that's been developed very recently in the kind of grosser, grosser space. Um, and for us, that's just another distraction. Um, they're building more buzz, a, a bigger industry with more cash being thrown around and more space for us just to focus on serving our niche without as much risk for, for, for kind of um, a, approach 
upwards to down, I suppose. So um, I think all this noise at the top is quite positive for us. And, you know, I guess our outlook on the industry is slightly different because it's not so much a volume game, it's a quality game. Um, and they can go and pave this massive industry for us to just sort of cordon off our little uh, nook in the corner and, and do what's right for who we're serving. So uh, it leads me to thinking when you say that, uh, Denise, uh, so you would never ever sign up a, a big chain. That's your philosophy. We had a few come through. I never really know whether they're real, <laughs> whether it's one of our team wanting to <laughs> screenshot it and then put it on their Instagram uh, for a bit of a publicity stunt. But yeah, we've had lots of chains um, request to be on the platform. Um, they see a cool brand that serves good food and they want a chunk of that. And uh, yeah, we've been proud to say no and steer them the other way. Um, and we've got to be proud and we've got to vet and screen. And I guess um, curation is a big part of what, what we do um, and making sure that our consumer can trust in every meal um, and actually trying to clear the noise and have the 100 to 150 best restaurants within a given city rather than uh, bringing on every man and their dog and leaving it to our customer to kind of fend for themselves. Uh, we're taking on the responsibility of curation uh, ourselves. So you have like a process. If I, you know, have a restaurant and I want to get on a platform, I go through a vetting process before I'm approved beside food safety and all the basic stuff. Yeah, I think um, a lot of our, you know, city managers and account managers, they get to eat a lot. That's a good thing. But if that's not always, uh, that's not always the case, um, we, re we rely on either consumer recommendations or other restaurants that we know and trust and are on the platform. Um, recommending friends uh, and we kind of work on that basis um, and obviously we want to grow so we know that there is an outbound sales effort but but it's because we've kind of uh, shortlisted those restaurants as, as phenomenal food um, so yeah we do really pride ourselves on serving up some great treats what do you think is going to happen with this market you said there was uh, an arm you know there was like an arm struggle between delivery and, and just eats going on and you know is there even other players as well that's trying to come in on the European market in the moment <laughs> What do you think is going to happen in all this? Because, you know, as you know, one of the things I know from business school and also been in, you know, with the gray hair, I know I've been long enough in business that often when you try to do too many things, sometimes you crash and uh, things will be redefined in some way. What do you think is going to happen with this, this delivery market? Is this going to be a, a group of big ones always and then a small ones like yourself doing the niche? How is this market going to, develop in the next couple of years but i think something big must needs to happen yeah I, i i'd imagine what's quite weird is that there's not much around us there's not a lot between what we're doing and what delivery are doing if you look at the space between delivery uber eats and then what we're up to kind of serving the independent niche there's a massive amount of space for people to move into um And I'm, I'm, it's very difficult to tell, but I kind of feel like they are pretty distracted by what's going on with, in the grocery space. 30% of delivery's revenue was was grocery, right? And now that's being very, uh, yeah, that's that's being disrupted. Um, it looks like acquisition's going to be the game in that last mile grocery space. Just I think only two of them will survive. Um, perhaps there'll be a similar issue for independent retail and grocers that deliver an Uber Eats sort of uh, caused for restaurants in that space in a in a couple of years' time. Maybe there's just a couple of uh, last mile or dark store grocers left, um, and then we can go solve another problem in, in other verticals. But for now, um, there's a lot of cash being flown around. There's a lot of um, 
big companies growing very fast and we tend not to be distracted by that. We're kind of focusing, and as you say, with laser focus on specializing a service for indie brands and connecting them with food enthusiasts um, and ho hopefully just keeping on our toes and adapting as the, as the market shifts. You have a, quite a good idea about the, the indie market because often in hospitality and you look in the news and so on, that's not talked about. It would be really interesting to hear your like, view on how, how, what is the health check of the, the indie market, you know? I would, I would not dare to say, knock on wood, post-pandemic, but on our way out of the pandemic, what is, uh, what is the health check? Because there's been a lot of concerns what would happen with that whole indie market with the, the pandemic really hit them hard. Totally. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely been tough. And I've seen some unbelievable stories. Some of our vendors were kind of crowdfunding. They were in so much trouble and they still wouldn't sell their soul to the devil and go on Deliveroo. And they remained exclusive with, with us. Um, you know, there's just some unbelievable stories that, you know, they're sacrificing potential new revenue streams just because they have such strong values, whether it's sustainability or just uh, reputation, you know. So um, yeah, we've definitely seen some some tough storylines, but I think we are genuinely out the other side now. Um, we've had this really big sense of positivity coming out of, uh, I guess, the kind of lockdown, uh, the ease of restrictions, consumers heading straight back in to see all of their favorite indies. That's just totally rejuvenated the, the sector. Um, and actually, we kind of felt that and we kind of enjoyed that. The pendulum swung towards footfall during July and August. And now we're slowly seeing it come back as we're going into September and just inbound sales are kicking off and people are getting their delivery strategy sorted for, for November, December until March, really, which is where it gets pretty silly for us. Um, but no, I think anyone that's made it this far is out the other side and they're all, always very positive regardless of how bleak it looks. I think hospitality has had its fair share of... Uh, battles and wars uh they're a pretty disheveled bunch but they always come out strong yeah and i agree you know that there's a lot of optimism uh in a moment but that's good to hear that you are feeling the same with you know because uh, the independent market is so important it's still the the biggest part of our restaurant market and they are feeding communities with jobs and people's livelihood as well so that's really good news um a bit back to, to you and the team. Uh, you started out being a founder about a year ago. That's that's a big step going from the paycheck to become a founder. And uh, uh, how is that, you know, is there anything on that journey where you really have to unlearn things? Because, you know, suddenly the world is very different from one day to the other, from you two guys on bikes to suddenly you are dealing with investors and fast moving business. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, big change. And I, I guess like because you're moving very quickly, you don't really get a chance to take stock. You definitely don't do any patting on the back. You know, you're always just running forward. The hardest thing to do is look a couple of days or weeks or months ahead and start planning for that because it's very difficult when you're running before you can walk to, to really learn from mistakes and, and avoid them next time. We put a real emphasis on getting smarter people around us <laughs> very early on so we've got some great advisors that kind of span businesses like trail uh, like ibm like deliveroo we've got some uh uh old ops directors and stuff that, that do a lot of work with us and also truva um as well so on the advisory front um we've got some great people around us that are on the end of the phone that really helps it's not always skill-based it's more about just like look 
um, this is normal, <laughs> that, that genuinely helps. Um, but we've got a team of seven people who are just incredibly um, passionate about what we're doing. And that always fills you with a great amount of confidence. And a lot of them have sacrificed better paying jobs and, um, you know, have families and, and are taking a punt on Foodstuff's mission. And uh, that fills us with great, great kind of pride, really. And uh, they always say, hire us better than you. And uh, we've definitely done that. So, um, yeah, it's been a great learning experience. And I guess, you know, you never quite catch up. Um, we're, we're moving into a new era. There's a consumer app coming. We're scaling to more cities and it will be a never ending waterfall and uh, infinitely, I imagine. Is there one thing you can say that that has been like my biggest, you know, thing I need to leave, leave behind like that? Okay, that mindset of that idea about the world, I just need to leave that behind in, in, my, in my world as a founder. What's quite interesting is, I guess, like as a kind of, I worked in partnerships, more commercial roles, and uh, there's, I guess, like your mentality, particularly at some of these startups where you're trying to squirt scale aggressively, it's just kind of like success at all costs. And I kind of imagined as a founder, I'd have the same sort of mentality. Um, but then when you become responsible for other human beings, they're part of your team. Um, I kind of left that mentality behind and, and it became more about values. So we spent a lot of time like what makes food stuff, food stuff and what makes us proud to work here. We built something, well, we built a bit of a compass, I suppose, that when we're forced to make decisions at speed, uh, we pull on these particular kind of values that are our own, um, whether it be transparency, um, you know, honesty, all this kind of stuff that differentiates us from what we see as a pretty ugly industry really um so the kind of success at all costs uh, as a young kind of hungry um person i think it's probably been softened slightly there's still a huge amount of ambition and and hustle um but there's also a lot of other important stuff that has to contextualize that i suppose i think it's super interesting you're saying that because um i guess also as you are you did the, the direction you're going you're going to scale this team very fast and it's very interesting you said you had a compass so just to clarify that is that like some clear values you have written down or have a piece of paper uh, you use for induction hire hire people to make business decisions this is like your it's like written down tool you have and that's going to help you scale i guess yeah and it's something that the team did you know it's it's what we did as a as a team so yeah we're all on the same compass and hopefully we can move in the right direction um and uh, not compromise our values because you get you get caught out you know you do you get caught you, you would get caught out by your consumer your rider your restaurant and we've got three components of the business that need to feel we've got their back and uh, if if as a team of seven or eight we don't have that documented it's very difficult at the speed we're moving to to stay true so you know those values may change they may evolve we might decide to remove or add as a team but yeah they're certainly front and central for us all to to play on it's interesting you said that why did you decide to do it together it was not the founders to sit down and said here you go here's the compass this is our game plan yeah I think it's probably led by the team. Um, well, we try and, you know, because we're quite a regional uh, uh, team. Yeah, I think we, we, we basically do like a bi-monthly get together in each of the cities that each of the city managers would organize. And we go and hang out and, you know, do some strategy stuff, do some work together and then basically go do some some fun stuff. And, you know, all that good stuff that startups should do. And 
I just think one of the city managers led that session and it became a kind of mainstay and we agreed to continue to to do it. So yeah, definitely led by the by the team rather than James or I. That's super cool. That's super cool. So that's uh, what I call uh, freedom to uh, the front line in principle. And, you know, sometimes the best ideas comes from the people that is in the front line. So that's a really good skill to have already uh, for you and James there. Um, what is uh, what is your prediction for hospitality delivery? What's going to happen if you had a crystal ball the next 12 to 18 months? Uh, it's, it's always difficult one is an unfair one but like you have your best bet here today well my slightly biased opinion is that we're in the honeymoon period for independent food quality stuff people are happy to part with a bit more cash to spend money on good food people are also pulling on all of the heartstrings that make this world a better place as a result of the pandemic that's the silver lining people want to support local they want to eat better they want to eat from better places they want to keep um money locally but also the whole rider eco-friendly message is is a big thing at the moment um so my feeling is that we're in the kind of right time right place to be serving the independent market i think you know there may be the way we see it in terms of quality independence that meet our brand there's probably six seven thousand across 60 odd cities that are addressable to us perhaps i think there'll be ten thousand within five years the consumer dictates that. And I think we're going to see an awesome influx of amazing independent brands that will be taking up sites that have closed, um, perhaps from casual dining or big chains that have dropped a few. Um, so I, I hope that we're at the front of a bit of a uh, an indie wave. Um, that means we never have to look outside of this industry because it's definitely the most exciting place to be. Yeah, and it's so interesting. I agree with all you're saying, and I've actually been talking with a couple of people that has, you know, decided not to go back and take a job in hospitality, even though there's a big need for people to come back, and they're working on their own projects because they want to do something better for for they want to come up with a better concept. That's uh, think about the people, the work there, the community they're part of, and have some kind of impact on the planet as well and it's super interesting to see all these entrepreneurs some of them very experienced people that's actually gone out into it and i think it's they're all gonna they're still here but they're gonna come back in uh, with new brands smaller brands and i think you will see less of uh, the big change i think you're spot on that toby uh what about you toby you are on an insane journey you just said like sometimes you can you know look a couple of days ahead or then you feel lucky as the founder you can see so clearly at three days ahead how do you turn up every day with the uh, you know you've been it is a you know in strange speed every day how do you you know turn up pro and keep yourself together as the founder it's always interesting to hear yeah i think it's just um for me i mean like i've, I've absolutely loved food my whole life so it's been a big part of who i am um and i will always I, i've always just eaten at good restaurants and by uh default that means i've been eating it independent so for me to actually genuinely feel like i'm trying or solving a problem uh and making hospitality a better place for the guys that we're serving is definitely the driver um and it makes me even more excited that the consumer um are really keen to be part of that solution so it's just now it's just literally listen to listening to who's in front of us interacting on a daily basis and just reminding ourselves that there's a problem to solve because if there's a problem to solve there's motivation um and uh yeah i think it's been a pretty exciting journey but um 
there's so much more work to do. There's more cities to scale to. And if we can take on London eventually, that would also be pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, I don't think this problem is going anywhere. Um, and if anything, it's being accentuated. So this is just the start. Uh, so for, not for one day of the last 12, 18 months have I thought, geez, another day at work. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. James has had a big part to play in that as well. Um, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, that's super important that uh, partnership you have with your your business partner always. Uh, how did you actually find out it was um, James that was the the right partner for that? Did that happen by accident, or have you been talking about you wanted to do something together? Because you know it's always important to have a partner. Yeah, well, I think James and I were just always over a couple of beers working out problems to solve and iterating until we found one that stuck. So you know we were almost co-founders before we had an idea really um and we the partnership was formed before before food stuff so um that that's it i really really enjoyed that and we were you know we scrutinized all of our rubbish ideas you know we but we all had them didn't we and we were good at kind of policing each other at what was rubbish and what was good and eventually i remember james and i just trying to talk ourselves out of trying to build a platform that was potentially competing with Deliveroo and Uber Eats, but we just kept getting pushed into it by uh, restaurants saying we need you and um, took a risk without the consumer necessarily being able to vote. And luckily it's um, becoming something. Um, but yeah, no, James and I were kind of chatting about various things before food stuff was, uh, was, was, was the one, I guess, that we put 100% of our time into. Oh, that, that, that's also sometimes the best partnerships, you know, that they come. There probably have been many beers before you actually put the the real plan <laughs> on the table. Um, yeah. Who do you, who who do you guys get inspired from, or who do you get inspired from? Uh, you know, we actually start with food stuff. Where did you get inspired from actually building a brand that was a challenger brand? Because you are a real challenger brand. Uh, I love being the underdog. I've always supported the underdog. Um, there's something about the independent restaurant that they're fiercely, you know, they, 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 they love, they love what they stand for and it's more important what they're serving and the way, I mean, some of the personalities we've met, it's just, they'd much rather that, that hustle, that grind than ever selling themselves out. And, uh, they love being the underdog and when they do win, they're great at celebrating, but I, um, I've always supported the underdog. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a firm fan of Crystal Palace Football Club that should indicate that um, I, I yeah. love the underdog. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think that's definitely been the driver. And I think that jest and that marketing creativity that comes with being a, a challenger brand is a hell of a lot of fun. Um, being cheeky and having a, a kind of purpose um, but also being a bit rebellious with it to, to try and kind of jest with the consumer and the big competitors as to why uh, why they should give us a try. I think it just makes it a lot of fun. Also, you have to be quite intelligent to be a pioneer um, and build something in, in blue ocean where no one else is doing it. And uh, I'd rather just spend my time trying to do something better. Well, uh, often things happen, you know, they've already been invented. There's just a different version of it. Uh, but uh, I like you. The blue ocean strategies that you're definitely in a red ocean. That's no doubt about that. But, <laughs> you, it, are, yeah, you are exactly. contender in the in the I'm red not ocean. Smart enough, not quite smart enough to build something in a blue ocean quite yet. Maybe, maybe, maybe in the future. Well, you never know. You never know. There's always a starting point on an entrepreneurial journey. <laughs> what about um? What about where 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 did you give your inspiration from? Uh, because you're you're a business owner, you're a leader. Is there anyone like you have your you know you go to to you know mentor or 
you read about, you know, do you have your, your, your like inspirational entrepreneurs? I, um, you're probably expecting me to list off a load of, uh, big business names. And sadly, I can't, I can't give you that. I think for me, it's always been about like the people who are close to me, the people around me, um, family, friends, people within my close network. Um, I've never been one to necessarily become too attached or idolize people I've, I've never sort of met before, nor have I had that eureka moment in a convention hall listening to some, you know, millionaire say a few words. Um, so, you know, I'd much prefer to, to rely on people who I know tangibly and I'd be very lucky to have some great people around me, but, um, if I was going to name a few names, I, you know, I'm, I'm just into the food really, you know, people like Anthony Bourdain, uh, you know adventurers people who get outside people who um achieve stuff go into the unknown that's that's always been exciting to me yeah and there's a lot of people besides the uh, millionaire or the, the people in the conference room i absolutely agree there's so much uh unset potential sometimes in people a- around you as well what are the if i could give you the the states toby and you should give a bit of advice to our beloved industry out there what would your advice be uh cool well i think what i was saying a little bit i don't want to be a stuck record here but actually the 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 thing that's really helped us is working out with your team what your values are um agreeing on them uh distilling them to something like you know three or four bits and bobs that really mean a lot to you as a team and knowing they can change and adapt but it's been so valuable uh, in terms of our decision making process and you know being able to make decisions knowing that you're going to you know going to sleep at night because the rest of your team have carved those values out with you because you can't always make the right decision but you might as well you might it might not be a good decision but based on you know your team collaborating together you you can make a a right decision uh it might not turn out the way you want it to but it's, at least it's right based on what everyone else has said because you've looked in the whites of the eyes and uh collaborated as a team any other things? That's a super advice, by the way. Yeah, um, I, I, I think honestly, take risks. <laughs> uh, and you got, I mean, like a lot of the people in the industry know how to do that anyway. So I feel like I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here, but uh, uh, keep taking risks, keep making mistakes, get very comfortable with mistakes um, and make sure the people are, there's just never any finger pointing. The, mo- the more comfortable you get with making mistakes, the, the quicker you'll get to the result you're after. Um, yeah, make make mistakes laughable um, and just keep going, keep taking risks and um, yeah, you'll get there. I think I read something the other day that, you know, people keep flying around that, you know, 80% of startups fail, but actually uh, 50% of entrepreneurs succeed. So actually, you know, if you keep going, you keep launching enough businesses, you'll get there at the end, just keep going forward. Yeah, I think, I think often in, in those stats, they don't see what happens afterwards. And actually, sometimes uh, the entrepreneur quickly bounced back because now they they knew something they didn't know before. And therefore, they know exactly how they will start the next thing. Um, what about uh, where can people find you if they want to, to know more about food stuff, maybe reach out to you, connect with you? Yeah, well, we are foodstuff.co.uk is our website. Um, and if you're in... Uh, Cambridge, Bath, Bristol, Manchester, you'll be able to order straight away. Uh, Oxford in a couple of weeks, and then keep your ears to the ground based on the next 10 cities and who we're scaling to. Um, We'll certainly be keeping people updated in our channel. So um, we've got an Instagram per city. So foodstuff cams is Cambridge, and it just does the same abbreviation per city. So give us a follow if you're in the region, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, serve you as a customer very soon. 
Great, great, uh, Toby. Thank you so much for for coming on the show and uh, sharing your incredible story and uh, how you are building, you know, the team and uh, your views on the delivery market and the industry in general and and your great advice in it. I send you and the team all the power and energy you need to to make this happen. It's uh, absolutely great that you are here. Super. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate that. It's been great. Thank you so much, Toby. It was so great to hear about how you and the team are building a challenger brand in the delivery space that can help indies boost revenue and build better relationships with their communities. I recommend you now to sit down with pen and paper and ask yourself, what can I learn from this episode when it comes to build better culture? To get further inspiration on the delivery market, please also tune in to our special edition episodes Out of the Blocks Lab 2 with Peter Backman and myself where we discuss the newest developments on the delivery market. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate, review or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to Be Simply for supporting us bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bisimply.com or under the social at bisimply or bisimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A big thank you to Fina Charlson, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. I'm Michael Tinkser. And you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick podcast show. Be Maverick.